Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Milwaukee is among the top five cities in the nation in poverty, as well as one of the worst cities for black male and female employment. Milwaukee is also one of the most segregated metropolitan cities in America, leading to limited opportunities for some in comparison to others. Recently, United Way partner agency YWCA Southeast Wisconsin conducted a community readiness assessment, interviewing job providers and job seekers in order to understand the reasons behind this employment gap. The findings were interesting. Most employers were at a level of vague awareness, meaning they were aware of efforts to address this job gap, but lacked the motivation to act or had little to no confidence in change occurring. Today we talk with Jamal Smith, Racial Justice Community Engagement Manager at YWCA Southeast Wisconsin. Jamal is hard at work developing support and understanding around how local corporations and organizations can work together to create a job-ready workforce that includes everyone no matter their background or where they are starting. This is big work, and Jamal discusses the challenges he has faced thus far and his vision for a community where everyone is ready and able to work. The city of Milwaukee is comprised mostly of people labeled as minorities, with 40% of our population identifying as black. According to a recent report, Milwaukee comes in fifth for black male unemployment and fourth for black female unemployment. Why are these rates so high in Milwaukee? Well, what, what we have to, to realize is that when it comes to a lot of the, those communities that we're talking about, there's a major lack of job opportunities within those, those neighborhoods. A lot of the jobs existing within suburban districts with a lack of transportation, quality transportation, which makes those more accessible for people to to get to those jobs. So uh, when you look at the communities in terms of, of inequalities as far as job opportunities are concerned, we also are, are very high racial inequality and spatial inequality. So spatial inequality suggests that you have a contingency of people in one area without the resources necessary in order to sustain that area. When you look at the landscape within the black communities here in Milwaukee, we have more liquor stores, tobacco stores, cellular and tobacco stores, but we have less employment opportunities for many of the residents. So it makes it difficult for there not to, for there not only to be a lack of job opportunities within their close proximity, but the the access to get to jobs that are in suburban districts is also lacking as well. You recently joined YWCA Southeast Wisconsin as Racial Justice Community Engagement Manager, and one of your biggest projects so far has been a community readiness assessment, which was conducted to understand the barriers to employment that many workers face, Mm -hmm. um, particularly as it relates to race and racial inequalities. What were your findings from this assessment? So uh, we discovered uh, that there's two particular reasons why many 
have been rejected uh, as far as employment opportunities are concerned. Those two reasons are either irregular work histories or a lack of soft skills. When it comes to irregular work histories, we have to examine what are the root causes of those work histories. For example, you have barriers such as childcare options. You have uh, a lack of transportation. You have home instability. We are in a city where the eviction rates for black women are, are very high. You, you have to factor in what are the reasons why they have irregular work histories. You have some uh, job seekers who may get access to employment, but then they see that there is another job opportunity that may be a dollar higher. So then they apply for that job because they're trying to find opportunities that provide sustainable wages for them to take care of their families. So that may be a reason why they go from job to job to job. But also when we talk about soft skills with punctuality and communication, being able to work with a team, you know, what are some of the reasons there as to why soft skills are an issue? And then let's just be frankly honest, there are some of those within the managerial ranks who also do not possess soft skills. And there's training provided you know, professional development opportunities provided for uh, those in managerial positions, but then the question becomes, how come you can't provide that same training for those who are coming into entry-level positions? Because then there's an opportunity for for those in, in those entry-level positions to, to stay committed to those employers, you know, uh, creating a career track where, a career advancement track where they're able to grow in the ranks and you know, potentially become in one of those managerial positions, but there becomes a sense of loyalty on the behalf of the employee because you see employers are willing to invest in the growth of an, of an employee. But we are, we, we, we are noticing that there really is not that strong of a concentration on the entry level point, and we, you know, this readiness assessment uh, determined that many of the, uh, the employers are at a level three on the, uh, the assessment, which is a vague awareness, meaning that employers are aware that there are training, training opportunities, there are training programs in place, but they don't see the change happening and they lack the motivation to get involved. This is a shared responsibility. This is not just we put the onus on job seekers without saying, well, employers, you have got to meet us halfway and being willing to work with job training centers and being willing to work with the job seekers as far as providing that necessary training. Because there was a period where on-job training always existed and people became successful through that on-job training. Actually requesting from employers on a, on a large scale that there be more of a focus on, on, on the on-job training piece so that people can actually be prepared within the ranks of the employer and easily segue into those positions to get jobs. So let's dive deeper. Why is it why is it the responsibility of the employer as well as the employee to make sure that employee is ready and, and willing to work? Well let's let's start with the employer. The employer is based here in Milwaukee. You and you'd imagine that being based in Milwaukee you have an investment in Milwaukee. You have an investment in the city. That means that we have to do whatever is necessary so that Milwaukee flourishes. 
we want Milwaukee to thrive. We want Milwaukee to be great. We want Milwaukee uh, to be the example across this country of saying that we are willing to work together in collaborative partnerships so for the betterment of our city. So that requires uh, an all hands on deck from everyone. You know, we always look for employees or job seekers to uh, be prepared, whether that's through education, whether that's through uh, job training, whether that's through uh, resume building or whatever the different qualifications are. However, employers also have to be of the mindset that we need to be uh, upfront and we need to be more within those communities to let them know these positions are available. This is what needs to happen. This is how uh, you can get in. You can become a part of our team here. At this at whatever respective employer is there. But in addition to that, saying that we are going to help you build, not only within our company, but help you build uh, as far as a person or as far as someone who is invested in this city for the betterment of the city overall. So you can't have one side building to make the city better and the other side just remains dormant and waiting for everyone else to come. Everyone has to have a share. This has to be a shared responsibility where people are focused on making sure that, that Milwaukee is in a greater place. But that also means people, people need jobs. People need opportunities. People, people want uh, to be able to take care of their families. That's such a stress reliever. When I, have, I know that I have a job with sustainable wages and strong benefits, so not only am I secured, but my family is secured. And if my family is secured, then I'm also able to help build my community. Our communities become safer. Some people may have a conception that people who don't have jobs don't want them or mm -hmm. aren't working hard enough to get them, mm -hmm. right? What would you say to that? That's a huge misconception. You have many, you know, you look at how high the unemployment uh, percentage is, but most people don't realize the, the higher levels of underemployment, right? So there are many people who are in the communities who are trying to work multiple jobs just to reach a basic level that provides the basic essentials for their families, but yet still living under the poverty level. You have a lot of, a lot of people who take on uh, small jobs or just little, you know, little side, side jobs that may not qualify as saying I'm working uh, for an actual employer, but, you know, maybe I, I might go and cut, cut grass for uh, some of the people in my community or uh, I may go and help someone clean their house, you know. So it's, those are also... Uh, different different ways that many people in our community are out and trying to earn some form of a wage or some form of, of a living in order to take care of their families. There are many people in the inner city, in our city, who want to work. Contrary to popular opinion, there are many people who are looking for jobs. They're looking for opportunities. They're trying to go through uh, the different job trainings. We see people in, in, in our building at the YWCA Hundreds of people come through our doors excited about the high school equivalency program or excited about the, the GED program because not only does that give them that, uh, give them that feeling of accomplishment, 
by uh, graduating from these programs, but they also know that that is a segue into becoming part of Milwaukee's workforce. What has to happen is we need a, an, an opportunity to change the narrative of what exists in the inner city of Milwaukee. Where does that conception come from? Uh, I, I believe, honestly, that it's both historical uh, and modern, um, which is amazing because, you know, just being honest, African Americans, we've shown our resiliency over, over the years, over centuries. Uh, whether we're discussing uh, chattel slavery, whether we're discussing the emergence through Jim Crow, uh, the Reconstruction period, uh, even post-civil rights, uh, during the civil rights and post-civil rights, uh, during the, the Black Power Movement when COINTELPRO became an issue, through the war on drugs, uh, through uh, legislation that was presented which contributed to the high levels of mass incarceration. And even in that, um, black people have continued to show resiliency. Uh, are there issues that, that exist in our communities? Absolutely. Absolutely there are issues that exist in our communities. But what are the root causes of why our communities have gotten to the levels that they are also needs to be discussed. I mean, if, we, if we're going to be, you know, honest and candid, imagine if the communities that exist in a neighborhood like Metcalf Park um, Lindsay Heights, Brewers Hill, uh, Midtown area. If those neighborhoods looked similar to a Brookfield, a Shorewood, Oak Creek, you, you would have to know that what you see occurring in our communities would not happen if they look the same as those communities that I just mentioned that have the resources, that have people who have the jobs, that have all of the, uh, the necessary essentials for a, a neighborhood to thrive. So if, you are, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at opportunities and equal opportunity, opportunities, excuse me, then you know that there's a huge inequality that, that is exists that is ever prevalent when it comes to communities of color versus in mostly uh, suburban neighborhoods that are predominantly white. So there, there, that conversation has to, to be at the forefront to talk about what do we need to do to ensure that all people have access to all resources be over, in order to take care of their families and for their communities to build. I want to come back to the community readiness assessment. Can you tell me how that assessment was conducted? What, what methods did you use to gather that information? So there was a... Uh, a assessment that was used from uh, Colorado State University. There were multiple consultants that were on, on staff for this, uh, starting with uh, Gary Holland, um, um, Melissa Ugland uh, were very um, instrumental within community readiness assessment in addition to uh, the leadership of our president CEO as, as well as our racial justice director Martha Berry. Um, and they were hands-on in attempting to interview employers and employees on what's the disconnect between uh, the two entities as to why we cannot bridge this so-called jobs gap. And we interviewed 47 employers within five sectors. Uh, the five sectors are hospitality, manufacturing, construction, financial services, 
and uh, well, I'm missing one. Healthcare. Healthcare. <laughs> healthcare. How could I forget healthcare? Excuse me. So interviewing employers within those five sectors to just discuss what are some of the uh, the barriers, what are some of the disconnects that exist. From from those interviews, we were able to draw the vague awareness that we spoke about earlier. Uh, and there are some sectors that are further along than others, but on an average, they hover around that level three of vague awareness. So it's attempting to get them from vague awareness to the planning stage of saying, okay, what do we need to do? How do we begin to truly strategize, sit down together as sectors or as employers, period, and build quality strategies necessary to get people in those jobs so that they can be successful within their communities and our cities can be successful overall. Did you find through these interviews that the employers are facing a lack of quality employees or a lack of, of a pool to pull from? They, uh, what, we, what we've realized is that uh, one-third of the job seekers, according to employers, one-third of the job seekers they see are not job ready. Okay, so then the question becomes, do, what do we all need to do to get them ready? What are, what are the qualifications they're lacking? What are the, what are the, uh, the interpersonal skills that they, they, they may need while in this position in order to adapt within the culture of the employer? How do we get them to that point? But again, that has to be a responsibility by all. You know, you have, you have multiple job training programs in the city of Milwaukee, including the YWCA, and we're training uh, men and women on a regular basis on uh, the, the necessary skills that can be useful within job, within uh, getting employment. However, there may be a certain culture of an employer that we are unaware of, that if a collaboration were to be created between more, uh, jo more job training programs and employers, then we have a sense of exactly what to expect when we are training uh, people on a regular basis to get into these positions. We also know what to, t what to teach them as far as adapting to the culture of those organizations or those employers. That's where the collaboration comes in. That's why it's so important that we say, this is a shared responsibility. Thinking from, and I've never been in this position, but a business owner's perspective, a, a corporate executive's perspective, it's a little bit, I can't help but feel that the what's in it for me, what's in it for my business, mm -hmm. is not clear enough. As you're going to meet with, because now your work is going out into the community, meeting with corporations and organizations, executives, and getting them on boards, trying to start this, this movement to make everybody employment ready. What are you telling them will be the ROI for their business? How are you, how are you motivating them to show, show them that this is worthwhile, it's going to be good for business, and it's going to help them meet their goals? Part of the, the, the push to many of the employers within their respective sectors is how what happens in Milwaukee is a reflection on them because they're also a part of Milwaukee, right? So if the narrative is Milwaukee's unsafe, it's unfit, we're not sure that this is a place where you would want to bring business, creating partnerships that may be national would be more difficult because people hear the narratives of Milwaukee. 
people hear the reputation of Milwaukee, although many times the reputation is embellished in 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 in, in many aspects. However, it's a reputation. It's a narrative that is there. So how does that affect you when attempting to uh, to build? with another organization and to create a partnership that can help your business nas- on a national level. We're, we're, we're not saying that this is something that, this, this is not a payment when we're talking about reaching out to uh, the job seekers or working with the community. This is, an, this is an actual investment. You're investing in the community. You're investing in uh, a city with an opportunity to build uh, more of an economic infrastructure necessary for uh, this city to become competitive on a, on a national and potentially on a global level, right? But it has to start somewhere. It has to start at the ground level first before you get to such lofty goals and, and, and lofty aspirations. But you have a contingency of people here who would love to, to be a part of your organi- organization, who would love to work, who would love to just have an opportunity to take care of their families. How does that benefit you as a business when you have a thriving community whose economic positioning has grown? How does that in turn benefit you when people have uh, more resources to partake in your goods and services that you may provide? And how does that benefit as far as how you can expand as a business, not only on a citywide level or a statewide level, but nationally? Can you kind of give an example, and it can be a theoretical example, of what that would look like, what that investment looks like? Because it sounds like it's more than just pouring money. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's more than just pouring money. Like you know, Martin Luther King said, charity is not a replacement for justice, right? So what we're saying in this aspect is that you just can't throw money at the issue. An actual presence within those communities that are underserved disenfranchised and that are marginalized, a stronger presence within those communities necessary to get people who live in those communities to work. And so would that be like partnering with a local maybe employment readiness organization to run workshops, Mm -hmm. deploy employee volunteers to do resume coaching, interview coaching, talk about the job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those kinds of Those things. Kinds That's of what things. you're talking about, of that, being present. Right. Okay. Or building partnerships with the, the aldermen in those districts or the, or the county supervisors in those districts and uh, creating those, uh, those workshops that you just talked about. Uh, and they're being on a consistent basis. I think that's one of the, the key aspects to really building uh, employer readiness or worker willingness, that consistency within the efforts is necessary. Imagine the impact of residents seeing employers, representatives of those employers consistently saying, look, we are going to help you no matter what. Imagine how that mentally impacts a community of saying, man, if they believe in me, I can do this. Because that's one of the, that's another concept that exists uh, within the communities is a lot of people just feel like the world is against them and they just don't know if they can, if they can be successful. You know, Dr. Joy DeGruy, who wrote the book Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome in response to discussing the impact of PTSD and how it has played a role generationally uh, 
from chattel slavery until now within the black community talked about the concept of an unforeseeable future. If I don't see a future, if the only thing I see is hopelessness and despair and oppression uh, and, and no opportunities, that mentally affects me in such a way where I, I, I begin to believe that this is just who I am, or I begin to believe that this is just where I exist or where I'm supposed to be. And it causes people to really shut down or it causes people to, to be at a level where you just don't care because I don't see anything, I don't see any benefits in this. I don't see me reaching a level of success given, every, uh, given the lack that I see on a regular basis. But imagine how that could change if you see employers or representatives from those employers coming in and saying, we're going to help you no matter what, because this is a benefit to us, this is a benefit to you, this is a benefit to our city, and this is a benefit to us thriving and growing. That changes the entire perception, that changes the mental drive, uh, that changes the focus, and gets more people involved and more people ready and inspired to be driven towards uh, working hard to get in those positions, and make no mistake, it's not to suggest, it's not to suggest that people aren't aren't trying, because we talked about it earlier. You have people working so many jobs, still living below the poverty level. Imagine what that also does. You know, where you feel like you just can't catch a break, but then here comes someone else. Here comes another. Here comes an employer. Here comes an opportunity, saying, "Well, here's your break, right here, on a consistent basis." changes changes the, the, the whole mental focus of many residents in the community. And there's an opportunity there to help this help the city grow. For folks listening who may be at all different levels of employment from executive to non-executive, you know, employment to unemployed, retired, in school, how can they get involved in this work? We, we need all hands on deck. You know, there's some people who, as you, as you just stated, who can be retired but still have connections, be able to help us network, be able to na uh, help us navigate through uh, some of, of, of these systems and get in contact with people that we otherwise wouldn't be able to contact and we may not even know. So we, I, I definitely take, I take suggestions. I, I take, uh, well, we, we take any opportunities to, to, to get in and speak with, with different people on, on uh, how they can help and be a part of this. We're really targeting those five, those five sectors. <clears throat> and our, our next steps is really to begin uh, building sector-based cohort groups to uh, you know, identify those key figures within those, in, those respective sectors and uh, discuss what have you done to date or what have you done uh, to really change your strategies for recruitment, authentic recruitment in these communities. What has, been the, what has been the successes? What have been the failures? How can we help? As well as how can, how can we create a template that may be helpful for other organizations to establish in their, in their, own, uh, in their own right, maybe have to you know, tweak it a little bit to fit exactly what's beneficial for their organization, but at least having that template available uh, to begin also recruiting uh, within these communities. So, it's, but it's really, you know, a concentration on, on building within the sectors. However, if, if, if anyone is interested or if anyone has any, any ideas, uh, please, 
let, uh, let us know. Contact me anytime. You know, I'm, I'm definitely open to conversation. I'm definitely open to ideas. And this is not one where we just take the ideas and say, oh, that's good, and then just push it to the side. Because uh, this is not about YWCA. You know, this is about our community. You know, I'm grateful to be a part of an organization that is driving this work uh, so that we can, you know, really benefit our communities. But at, at day's end, it's about our communities. It's about the residents who live in these communities. It's about people having an opportunity uh, to be successful just like anyone else. No one should be de denied fundamental rights to take care of their families. No one should be denied a fundamental right to build or to uh, support their communities. No one should be denied that. That's why this is a shared responsibility to ensure that all parties, that all people have those, those chances just like everyone else. Well, Jamal Smith, uh, Racial Justice Community Engagement Manager at YWCA Southeast Wisconsin, thank you so much for sitting down with us and for the, the incredible work you're doing Anytime. in our community. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you have ideas about this project and want to get involved, we have included Jamal Smith's contact information in the blog accompanying this website. To learn more about the Bridging Employer Readiness and Worker Willingness Community Readiness Assessment and YWCA's racial justice work, visit ywcasew.org. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, John Waldbauer, and Brian McCaig. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.